The first of the laws we're going to look at was created by a guy named Boyle. And again, look at the dates he was around, 1627 to 1691. And at this time, chemistry was more of a study, I would argue, of alchemy, where they were essentially trying to turn things into gold and find ultimate solvents and stuff like that. It was early chemistry, but not quite as formal. But Boyle realized that there's a relationship between the pressure of a gas and the volume of a gas. And so Boyle's Law says that if the moles N and the temperature T are constant, then pressure times volume always equals a constant. Uh, I'll talk about why NRT is there in a little bit. Don't worry about that right now. But pressure times volume is always equal to a constant. So what this means is that pressure, as it, if pressure increases all of a sudden, your volume then will decrease. Or if the pressure goes down, then all of a sudden the volume will go up. So mathematically we write this as P1V1 equals P2V2. So the pressure of the gas times the volume of the gas in some initial state 1 equals the pressure of the gas times the volume of the gas in some final state 2. And as long as P, uh, both P's are in the same kind of unit and V's are in the same kind of unit, you can use just about any kind of unit you want here. Pressure and volume are inversely related. Weight on the plunger of a sealed syringe increases the pressure on the air in the syringe. The air cannot escape, but its volume reduces under the pressure. Mathematically, uh, when P times V equals K, that means that pressure is inversely proportional to volume or vice versa. So the lower left-hand graph shows what happens if you try and plot volume versus pressure. You don't get a nice straight line. And that means that volume times pressure wouldn't be very, uh, or volume uh, is, is, is not directly proportional to pressure, I should say. However, in the lower right-hand corner, you can see a graph of volume versus 1 over P. And then you do have a nice linear relationship. And if you have a linear relationship, that's when you can use cool equations that uh, make sense in this level of chemistry. So in the video then that showed kind of middle center there, all right, uh, they're basically adding mass, all right, and mass of lead is a kind of like a way to add pressure, all right, because the lead is pushing down more lead, more pressure. And they're plotting one over volume versus essentially the pressure and they get a nice straight line. So if all of that was kind of gobbledygook, just realize that pressure times volume is always going to equal a constant. And so scientists can use P1 times V1 equals P2 times V2 pretty handy. Charles is another person a little later than Boyle. You can see the dates there that he was alive. Charles was quite the balloonist. At the time, balloons were a big thing. They used to uh, take a long time to make enough gas for a balloon. They would then float the balloon from one city to the next. The city they left, they were like, oh, good luck. Have a good voyage. And in the other city where, of course, they didn't have the internet at the time, people were like, what the heck? And they were like burned. Uh, anyway, the, so the tradition to have a uh, bottle of champagne for the owner of the land you you drop into is uh, basically from this area because it made the people happier when this weird balloon crashed on their crops. But anyway, I digress. Charles Law says that if the moles of gas are constant and the pressure of the gas is constant, then volume of the gas equals a constant K times T. And if you rewrite 
this a little bit where you have an initial set of conditions equals a final set of conditions. You can first divide both of those equations by t. You get v over t equals k or what you can read it, v1 over t1 equals v2 over t2. All right. And this is considered to be Charles law. It relates the volume of a gas to the temperature of a gas. And again, it works really well, but you have to have pressure constant and the amount of gas constant moles as well. Temperature and volume are directly related. As heat is added to a sealed syringe, the volume of the air in the syringe increases. A plot of gas temperature and volume demonstrates that the relationship between them is linear. If we extrapolate the line down to a temperature of absolute zero, in principle, the gas has no volume. In the first part of that video, they heated a syringe, and the syringe basically had a gas in it. And as the temperature went up, all right, then the volume increased. It pushed it out. Uh, conversely, if you cooled it down, then the gas volume would decrease as well. So V1 over T1 equals V2 over T2 works really well. However, there is a problem with this law, and it happens at absolute zero. Now, first of all, absolute zero is the kind of almost magical place in science where supposedly all matter stops. But mathematically, right, you can't uh, have a zero value um, in your calculations. So if you go down to zero Kelvin, you can see there from the graph, it looks like you would go to zero volume. And all matter has volume of some sort. Even the nucleus would have a little bit of volume to it. So what that graph is showing is that I'm going to talk about these gas laws as being so cool <laughs> and they are cool all right however they're mostly quote-unquote cool uh, at certain temperatures and pressures there's going to be some places where the gas law breaks down and zero Kelvin is certainly one of the values where the gas laws will break down um, another thing I'd like to point out is that if you look at that equation v1 over t1 equals v2 over t2 you must use Kelvin temperatures in Charles' law. If you think about that for a little bit, if we were to use Celsius values, all right, a couple weird things could happen. You could have a T1 or a T2 being zero Celsius, and dividing by zero is like one of the big faux pas of math. It freaks your calculator out if you try it. So you must use Kelvin temperatures for that reason. Um, you could also divide by negative numbers, because Celsius values that are negative are actually pretty common if you go below zero, the freezing point of water. Um, so you could have negative values and you're not going to have negative volumes and stuff like that. So um, when it comes to Charles' law, and actually when it comes to all calculations with temperature and pressure and, and gases, you must use Kelvin temperatures. You can record in Celsius in the lab and convert to Kelvin later, which is no problem at all, and then vice versa, convert back if you need to. But man, when you're using Charles' law and any of these gas laws, make sure you use Kelvin. There's lots of fun things, though, you can do with Charles' law. This is a demonstration with liquid nitrogen, which is a super, super cold substance. And you can take a balloon, put it in the liquid nitrogen, and the gas inside the balloon literally shrinks down. So you can see that person pulled out there that green balloon. It was at one time inflated, but boy, then it gets, uh, then it gets deflated pretty fast. Now, if you let that super cold and shrunken balloon warm up to room temperature, it'll come back. All right. 
right? The gases come back, uh, which is really cool. And this is all Charles law, all right? Temperature goes down, so the volume goes down. That's why you get this shrunken bloom. Then you let it warm up for a little bit. Temperature goes up, volume goes up. You're back to your regular balloon. So here's a question that you might see. All right, the volume of a gas is 235 milliliters at 25 degrees Celsius. At what temperature would the same gas have a volume of 310 milliliters? And assume for this problem that pressure and the amount, which is moles, are constant. Okay, so the big surprise, this is going to be a question about Charles' Law. And Charles' Law, and I'll put it up here in the upper left, corner v1 over t1 equals v2 over t2 and you can see here what we're looking for we're looking for a new temperature all right what's the temperature when the new volume so you need to basically solve for t2 now i want to do a little math here with you we got to get t2 in the numerator on top we can't leave it in the bottom so first thing we need to do is multiply both sides by t2 so i'm going to multiply this side by t2 so the t2s cancel and then you have uh i'll write it over here v2 equals t2 v1 over t1 now again that's closer because now we've got t2 in the top but we need to get t2 by itself like t2 equals something okay so now what we're going to do to get t2 by itself we're going to multiply both sides by t1 over v1 so i'm going to put t1 over v1 over here now the t1s will cancel the v1s will cancel so on the right hand side now the only thing we have is t2 and T2 equals T1 times V2 divided by V1. So in a problem like this, this is the kind of thing you'd want to do to solve for T2. We're going to take T1 times V2 divided by V1. And when I am doing these problems, sometimes I'll go through and I'll actually like put a note next to which is which. So 235 milliliters, that's our V1. Milliliters are volume, all right? And 25 degrees Celsius is T1. Now, I can't leave it in Celsius. We talked about how you've always got to turn things into Kelvin, all right? So I can't leave this value in Celsius, but that is what T1 is. And then finally, the third piece here, 310 milliliters. 310 milliliters is V2. What we're going to have here, we're first going to convert Celsius to Kelvin, 25 degrees Celsius to Kelvin, and that'll be T1. We'll multiply it by V2, because remember, this is what we're doing up here on the top that I kind of created right here. We're going to multiply it by V2, 310 milliliters, and we'll then divide by 235 milliliters. T2 will come out in Kelvin, and you see that all of those values there are in Celsius. So finally, at the end, we're going to take our Kelvin and turn it back into Celsius, and hopefully it'll correspond to one of those numbers. Um, another thing before we start, we haven't done sig figs for a while. That little dot right there means that the 0 of 310 is a significant figure, all right? So 310 milliliters is three sig figs. If you didn't have 
have that dot, then three 10 milliliters would be only two sig figs. Dots are the ways to make the little zero significant. So 25 degrees Celsius plus 273 is 298 Kelvin. And that T1 value will multiply by 310 milliliters V2. We'll divide it by 235 milliliters V1. And that's going to give us some number T2, which is a Kelvin temperature, the final temperature. And at the end, we've got to subtract 273 from that number to get it back into Celsius. Down on the bottom, here's kind of the punchline of all of this. So first of all, notice that I turned 25 degrees Celsius into Kelvin, 298. V2, 310, times 298 divided by 235 V1. That gives 393 Kelvin. And remember that all of the answers here are in Celsius. So 293 Kelvin minus 273 gets us 120 dot degrees Celsius? Oh yeah. So again, remember to always use Kelvin in these gas calculations. We're going to see that volume and pressure you can do some other things with. So like for example here, we didn't convert milliliters to liters. You absolutely could have. You could have used 0 0.310 liters and 0.235 liters and that would be fine. But we really didn't need to. Milliliters will cancel out. The relationship between Kelvin and Celsius is adding, subtracting. Well, milliliters to liters is uh, multiplying, dividing. So that's kind of the math reason why we don't want to. Cool. Or don't need to. The third thing we're going to look at here, his name is Avogadro, and this is the Avogadro of Avogadro's number. Avogadro made his postulate about Avogadro's number using a study of gases. And again, he didn't actually figure out the number of Avogadro's number, but he came up with the idea that maybe it is. But anyway, in Avogadro's hypothesis, equal volumes of gas at the same temper and pressure have the same number of molecules, all right? And so you can mathematically say that volume equals some time of some type of constant k times the moles all right and the little picture down there i think does a better job notice that there's two balloons and let's assume that the balloon on the right is twice as big as the balloon on the left if that's the case then the balloon on the right has twice as many molecules as the balloon on the left volume literally is proportional to moles so if you double the moles, you double the volume. If you had a balloon that was three times as big, then you'd have three times as many moles, which of course means molecules as well. Mathematically, just like with the volume and temperature, you can write this as V1 over N1 equals V2 over N2. All right. Now, you have to be careful with this law a little bit. You generally don't create or destroy matter. All right. That's not a good thing. So what people will use Avogadro's hypothesis for is thinking about doubling the amount of moles in a substance, like you add more gas in, and then the effect on the volume, stuff like that. You can't just change change the volume and expect the moles to compensate, uh, that would be tougher to do. Quantity and volume are directly related. If we take eight molecules of H2 and combine them with four molecules of O2, we get 12 molecules and a combined volume. If we then react the mixture, we end up with eight molecules of gaseous H2O, which occupies the same volume as eight molecules of any other gas. 
Remembering that the molecules are proportional to the moles, all right? If you wanted to take the eight molecules of H2 and turn it into moles, you would divide by Avogadro's number to find the moles. So all of those molecules are proportional to moles. So right away, look how the oxygen takes up less volume than the hydrogen. That's because you need twice the moles of hydrogen to react with oxygen. So the volume of hydrogen is twice that of the O2, just based on the stoichiometry. Stoichiometry is the fancy name for the big numbers in front. The twos in front of the H2 and the water, those are stoichiometric factors. Volume is proportional to moles. So when the hydrogen molecules and the oxygen molecules initially were in the circle on the right side, on the product side, the circle was a lot bigger because you had three times the moles, etc. However, once they react, the two moles of water are proportional to the two moles or molecules of hydrogen. So you can see that their circles are kind of the same. So volume is proportional to moles. Um, in the lower right corner, it shows two tanks of helium. And the first tank, the balloon has one mole of helium. And the second tank, the balloon has two moles of helium. So the volume of the balloon is twice as big on the right as it is the left. Number of moles increases, the volume of the uh, gas increases. And then finally, on the upper right corner, that shows that balloons of helium, ammonia, and oxygen. And all of those are one mole quantities. So for helium, that would be about four grams per mole. Look on the periodic table, helium is about four grams per mole. For ammonia, NH3, that would be about 17 grams per mole. A nitrogen is 14 grams per mole, plus three hydrogens, one gram per mole is 17 grams per mole. And finally, for O2, that would be about 32 grams per mole. O2 is one of the diatomics, so two times 16 is where the 32 comes from. The masses definitely are changing, but the number of molecules are constant. They're all equal to one mole. And you'd feel a difference definitely between the three of them, but the volume would be the same because the moles are the same.